Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinnie Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you've never opened a Bible or have read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today, our topic is going to be the Cretan problem. Let's begin in Titus chapter 1. In Titus chapter 1, beginning in the fifth verse, it says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless, as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given a wine, no striker, not given a filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word, as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Paul left Titus to serve in the island of Crete. The problem in Crete was that they were looking for leaders for the church, but were having a hard time finding anyone suitable for the job. This was because of the Cretan people and their character. They turned from the truth, and now were causing real harm and damage to the church. This chapter gives us great insight into the character of the Cretan people and what exactly was going wrong. Many of the same things that were happening then are happening in the church today. And if the problems plaguing the church today are to be resolved, we need to see how Paul responded to the problem in Crete. Verse 10 told us, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. This verse shows us three elements that were prevalent amongst the Cretan people. The first is that they were unruly people. The NSAB version translates unruly as rebellious men. In the Greek, it means not subject to rule. The concordance goes further to say that it means not under God's arrangement, not submissive, disobedient, unwilling to come under Christ's lordship, refusing to fall in line with and fit in with God's plan, uncooperative, with a defiant attitude towards duly appointed authority. The people had heard the truth. The gospel had been preached to them but they refused to surrender their lives to Christ 
and give him control. They heard God's law through his word, but desired to remain lawless. God had a plan for the Christian people that he desired to lead them into, but they refused to enter into it. The second element is that they were vain talkers. The NSAB translates this as empty talkers. In the Greek, it means talking idly. The Christians fell into the trap of allowing themselves to speak senseless, meaningless words, words that made no difference. What they spoke was unprofitable. It didn't produce anything. Instead of speaking things that were edifying and encouraging to others, they spoke things that didn't matter. And in doing so, they failed to properly wield the power of their words. The third element in this verse is that they were deceivers. Deceiving someone is not something that is mindlessly done. It's done knowingly, with malicious intent. Deceivers here is the Greek word phrenopades. It means a deceiver, seducer, self-deceiving. The concordance goes on further to say that it comes from the roots phren, meaning outlook from insight, and apato, meaning deceive. It means deceivers, leading others into their delusions, especially exploiting those with a narrow mind, a mind misleader. This is the only place in scripture where this specific Greek word is used, which indicates its importance. They were knowingly deceiving people, but it's also important to note that they were deceiving themselves. Then once they were deceived, they actively sought to deceive others. There's a saying that misery loves company, and the same is true of deception. A deceived person with the wrong intent isn't content in their own deception. They feel the need to spread that deception to others, and in that way the cycle continues. Deception always begins with lies. It's not surprising that the Cretans were deceivers in light of verse 12 which says the Cretans always liars. People listen to lies and believe them, and in turn are deceived. The purpose of lies is to deceive, and the purpose of deception is to lead astray. In the definition it said, deceivers, leading others into their delusions. This is the most sinister part of deception, because it affects others. The Cretan people were leading people astray. They were leading them away from the truth of God, into the delusions of the enemy. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in the 7th verse, it says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him, whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This is what happened to the Cretans. They didn't love the truth, so they believed a lie. They were deceived, and God gave them over to strong delusions. It all started with them not loving the truth, which opened them up to believe lies. They had pleasure in unrighteousness, which shows that they were lying and deceiving because they wanted to. They had the wrong intentions. In Titus chapter 1, verse 11, it also shows us that they had bad intentions. It told us, "...whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses." teaching things that they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. 
The term subvert is important to note. Subversion is always done knowingly, with a purpose in mind. It's malicious. In the NSAB, it is translated as upsetting. But the problem with this translation is that it doesn't do justice to what was really occurring. In the Greek, subvert means to overthrow, destroy, and corrupt. They were corrupting people, destroying their faith in God, and overthrowing their knowledge of the truth. This was much more than just merely upsetting them. It wasn't just individuals either. They were subverting entire families. And the effects of this were destroying their entire culture. They were also teaching lies, which many times is done knowingly. What made it even more disingenuous was that they weren't even teaching lies because they believed and lived by them. They were only doing it for the sake of money, wanting to exploit their own countrymen. Like many today, they were turning spiritual and religious matters into a business, just looking out for themselves and for their own interests. The last part of verse 11 said, For filthy lucre's sake. The NSAB says, For the sake of sordid gain. The term for the sake of in the Greek means in favor of, for the pleasure of. They took and had pleasure in exploiting people and destroying their faith. They derive happiness from it. Like we saw earlier in 2 Thessalonians, they took pleasure in unrighteousness, and they loved not the truth, which is why they were so quick to turn from it. Verse 14 said, Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turned from the truth. The phrase turn from in Greek means to turn away, turn back, pervert, remove, desert, reject. The concordance goes on to say it means to depart, separate from the previous point. It emphasizes the personal element involved with turning away or rejecting. They made a conscious personal choice to reject the truth and desert the Lord. They were allowing themselves to get further and further away from God. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4 through 6 say, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. Deserting God has real eternal effects and consequences. We've seen many go this route today. It's imperative that we don't give in to the ways of the world, and that we stay the course. The first part of verse 11 said, Whose mouths must be stopped. This is a direct command. Must means it's necessary. The word stopped in Greek means to muzzle, to silence, to stop the mouth. They had to be stopped because of all the havoc that they were causing in the church. The charge to stop them fell on Titus and the people of God that were there. Because it wasn't a natural battle that they were faced with, it was a spiritual battle, and only spiritual means would work to fight it. They had to use the power of God within them to wage their warfare. Verse 12 is the next part of our study. It says one of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This is an interesting verse, and this is quite a charge to level against the Cretan people. Paul said one of themselves, even a prophet of their own. We need to ask the question, who is he referring to? Ellicott's Bible commentary says, This is a reference to a well-known Cretan poet, one who, according to tradition, was even honored by them as a god. The verse quoted is a hexameter, written by the famous Epimenides of Gnosis in Crete. 
He flourished around 600 BC and is said to have lived to the age of 150 or more. He appeared to have the title of prophet in the fullest sense. Plato spoke of him as a divine man. The first three words, Cretans always liars, were well known, coming from his book on oracles and were even used by Callimachus in his hymn to Zeus. The commentary also says that the phrase, the Cretans are always liars, is a terrible estimate of the national Cretan character and is amply borne out by the testimony of many writers. The very word to cretize, or to play the part of a Cretan, was invented as a word synonymous with to deceive, or to utter a lie. In the Benson Bible Commentary, it says, The Cretans were universally hated and branded as liars by the other Greeks, because they showed in their island the tomb of Jupiter, who they claimed was the father of gods and men. They also published what the rest of the Greeks concealed in their mysteries, especially that their gods were dead men. This provides necessary context in order for us to better understand the mission that Titus was on. Paul said that they were always liars. This goes beyond just saying that they were susceptible to occasional lying, like every man is. This is saying that their entire character was defined by lying. God hates lying. Proverbs 12 and 2 says, Lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. He has commanded us to not lie, and not to deceive. Proverbs 24 and 28 says, Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Leviticus 19 and 11 says, You shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. The Christians gave themselves over to lies, and their entire character was infected because of it. The next part of verse 12 says, Evil beasts. The term beasts speak to them having a wild and ferocious nature. The term evil offers greater insight. In the Greek, it means bad, evil in the widest sense. The concordance goes on further to say it means inwardly foul, rotten, poisoned, inner malice, flowing out of a morally rotten character, as in the rot is already in the wood. Verse 15 also shows us this. It says, Under the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Since the enemy had worn them down with lies, over time they lost their sense of morality, and their way of thinking became defiled and rotten. This impacted both their inward and their outward lives. Their unbelief led them to live deceitful lives, with no control and no connection to God. The last part of verse 12 says, slow bellies. The NSAB version translates this as lazy gluttons. Lazy means idle, faultless, unprofitable, injurious which has to do with outward actions. Glutton also has to do with outward actions. They were overly indulgent, they lacked self-control, and they were only concerned with their own interests and fulfilling their own desires. This is a serious charge. Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19 say, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. This failure in outward actions is worse when it comes to spiritual matters, especially when it comes to knowing God through a personal relationship. Verse 16 says, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Their works were reprobate and abominable because their character was the same way. 
We have to ask ourselves the question, how did they become this way? We find the answer in Romans chapter 1, verse 28, which says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Once they refused God and the truth that he was trying to give them, their minds became defiled and God turned them over to a reprobate mind, which over time manifested outwardly through reprobate actions. These reprobate actions directly contradicted what they were teaching and what they were saying. We must remember that they were liars, and when they claimed to know God, they were just doing what they always do. They were lying. As much as they would say it, it meant nothing. It was just pretentious. They had no proof to back it up. Although we're not saved by works, works are the natural byproduct of us living out the Christian life. Jesus said in Matthew 7 and 16, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? They lacked the good works necessary to give validity to what they were saying, and from this we knew that they were lying. We see this fervor in 1 John 2 and 4, which says, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. They were not only rejecting the truth, more importantly, through their actions, they denied and rejected God himself. We find many of the same issues found among the Cretans, amongst the church today. We find people turning the church into a business. We find leaders deceiving and leading astray. And we find empty talkers. Paul said in Philippians 1 and 18, What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. But not only that, I also will rejoice. Just like back then, the problem needs to be fixed. And as the people of God, we need to ask, how can this be fixed? And what are we to do? Verse 13 says, The witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. The first element of what Paul told Titus here is rebuke them sharply. The word rebuke in Greek means to expose, convict, reprove, discipline, to show to be guilty. The concordance also says that it means to convince with solid, compelling evidence, especially to expose, prove wrong, or to connect, by conviction, to bring to light. It's not the fun, glamorous side of our walk of faith, but we have an obligation to correct a fellow believer when they stray from the truth. It's part of our call to love and to care for them. Many people may not want to hear it. They may even get angry, but we still have to say what needs to be said. As Christians, we've all been given a mission in Jude and verse 3, which says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you with the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude then says why this is so needful. It says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Then verses 10 to 11 tell us, But these speak evil of these things, which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. This is what we are faced with today. The way that we combat the lies is with the truth. We need to speak the truth, stand on the truth, and live the truth. We serve the Lord who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth himself, and we need to get back to where we started. 
We need to get back to Jesus because it's only Jesus who can change a man's heart and it's only Jesus who can renew a man's mind. We also need to know the reason of why we correct those who are straying from the truth. Whenever we seek to lead someone back to the truth, it must be done out of love, never out of wanting to tear someone down. The reason that Paul gives is that they may be sound in the faith. God desires for our faith to be sound. And when we see someone whose faith isn't sound, we need to reach out in love and correct them where they're wrong so that they can get back to the faith as it was once delivered under the saints. No matter what problems may arise in the church, our mission doesn't change to speak and live the truth. We need to make the choice today to stand on the truth no matter what. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who is truth personified. And we thank you that you have given that truth to us for your word. And we thank you that the truth is right now within us because you are within us and that your Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into all truth. Lord, we thank you that even though many problems may arise in the church, that you have given us the ability as your people to reach out in love and to correct those who are straying from the truth. Lord, we thank you that you have embodied the truth. And not only that, but that you have written it down, that you've recorded what you said to your people through your word. And Lord, we stand on that truth. We know that you said what you meant and that you meant what you said. And Lord, we stand on that word today and forever. And Lord, we thank you that you have made our faith sound. And Lord, we thank you that you are continuing to teach us and to help us to grow into even more truth. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you for all that you have done. And we thank you for all that you're going to do. Lord, we know that with you the best is yet to come. And all these problems that we find in the church today are going to be resolved and that you are going to bring your people out more victorious than we could have ever imagined. And Lord, we give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to stand on the truth and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you were now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.